0: No one steal this because I'm, I want to do this, but <laughs> I've got all these goats and I'll just, I will rent them to you to clean out your property or your space that you just purchased.
1: Whether you like it or not, I can say with a lot of confidence that technology and sport is here to stay. As tech becomes more and more prevalent, not to mention more cost-effective to private facilities and in users, I think we're going to see an explosion in sports science and data-driven training in the years to come. And it's for that exact reason that today's guest is Drake Berberet of Hawken Dynamics. Drake is the VP of Performance and Brand at Hawken Dynamics, and he also serves as the Performance Data Scientist at NCAA Division III Colby College in Waterville, Maine. Prior to his time at Hawken, Drake was the applied sports scientist for the University of Illinois men's and women's basketball teams for two seasons. And last but definitely not least, he also owns a private training facility, serving over 300 youth athletes annually in central Illinois, and consults for technology companies in sport, health, and connected fitness. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. Welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, I've mentioned this before, but while I have a master's degree in sports biomechanics, that was like 20 years ago, and things have obviously changed a bit since then. But I really see sports science as a way to objectify the things we see in training, and that's why I wanted to create a beginner's guide to force plates. Even if you know nothing about force plates or the utility they can provide, we're going to outline that in today's show. We'll start at the ground level, discussing what a force plate is and what it can help you measure. We'll talk about the exact tests Drake would use to help better profile your athletes and determine their specific needs and weaknesses. And last but not least, we'll dive into continuing education and how you can learn more about force plates if that's something that interests you. Now, even if you have no interest in using force plates yourself, I think it's always smart to educate yourself on the tools that are out there and what other high-level coaches are doing to get better. And if you are interested in this subject, then I promise there will be more of this to come down the line. Okay, that's enough for me for now. We're going to take a little break. And then we're gonna jump into this awesome new episode with Drake Berberet. Today's episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics consider themselves part of the process, not the process. Force plates are in no way, shape, or form new technology, but Hawken has brought them to the 21st century. Hawken Dynamics plates are wireless, which makes them portable and easy to set up and use. You'll have the ability to performance test your athletes in a matter of seconds and give them immediate feedback on their strengths and weaknesses. And last but not least, their software interface is clean, intuitive, and easy on the eye, so both you and your athletes can visualize what's going on and how to improve their performance. Now, the reason I invested in Hawken Dynamics Force Plates was simple. I was tired of feelings and subjective information being the sole driver of my decision-making process. At this point in my career, I want to blend of both subjective assessments and objective-driven metrics to drive my program design. I love the idea of having dual force plates so you can see side-to-side differences and asymmetries, especially in athletes who are in the return-to-play process. I want to be able to collect and track data across the athletic spectrum, from our young kiddos to my elite athletes that are playing in the NBA or MLS. Another driver for me was finding ways to assess performance that aren't reliant on lifting technique. While I would never bring a kid in and test their 1RM squat or deadlift on day one, I have zero issue putting them on force plates to test their power in a vertical jump or their force output in a mid-thigh pull or iso squat. But arguably the biggest driver for me was being able to take all of this technology and making it incredibly easy to use. With options to lease or buy, Coupled with a five-year warranty, I'm confident that Hawken Dynamics Force Plates can take your performance facility to the next level. To learn more, head over to hawkendynamics.com or follow them on Instagram at hawkendynamics. Or for direct sales inquiries, feel free to reach out to Drake Berberet directly at drake at hawkendynamics.com or follow him on Instagram at strength2.speed. Drake, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, Mike, thanks for uh, having me on today. Um, so my background uh, started as a strength and conditioning coach, performance coach. Um, my undergrads were in exercise science, human performance, and fitness. Um, then I ended up getting a master's in exercise nutrition. Um, I would say nutrition actually was probably my first love and that's kind of, I started eating, you know, healthier in high school, uh, using that competitive advantage. And then, uh, had some older athletes that I was trying to track down in football, you know, try to take their spot. So yeah. then that's where kind of the weightlifting came into play. Um, so, you know, got into nutrition really heavy first, then got into, uh, weightlifting, honestly, probably around age 14, 13, 14, um, yeah. And, you know, just used it on myself and through high school. Um, ended up going to play college football. Um, at the end of that, um, you know, was part of a, an organized weightlifting program there. At a, it's actually it was an NAIA school uh, in the Quad Cities over okay. in, in Iowa, Iowa and Illinois border. Um, played there, you know, found continued the love for strength conditioning. Um, thought I wanted to be a physical therapist at one point. Realized I'd rather, you know, not have to wait a couple of years to work with athletes and rather be on the, the proactive side of the equation. Yeah. So um, learned a little bit about strength and conditioning that that was an option there. So started going down that path. Um, somewhere along there, uh, technology and data started becoming more relevant, um, not necessarily at my school that I was at, but kind of just through social media and seeing, you know, the way that things could move in the future, um, using data to help guide decisions. Um, and I, like you know, it's obviously been happening for an, a long time, like all the Soviet techs, Russian techs, but hadn't really been resurfaced and met with the technology of the day. Yep. Um, so I kind of, I still knew I needed to be a strength and conditioning coach first and then get into the data side. Um, so I really stayed on that path, but I knew I wanted to get into using data within training at some point. Um, so right after post or right after undergrad, um, I actually went to the university of Illinois Springfield. It was a division two school in central Illinois. It was the town that I was from. So it was really easy to go back, get a connection, yeah. Um, spent some time there. It was really only about six months. Um, and then I actually got connected with a guy by the name of Max Marzo, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. strong by science on, yeah. on social media. And he was at Stanford when I, I really, you know, became aware of what he was doing, putting out. Um, and I, I really wanted to be, like, I really wanted to learn from him. So, you know, I was at Vision Two school. Uh, he was at Stanford. He accepted a job, you know, probably about halfway through this in um, a place called Resilience Code in Denver, Colorado. Um, we'll get into that. Craziest place I've ever, craziest place I've ever seen um, in person in terms of performance. But I basically just DM'd Resilience Code and was like, hey, if you have any opportunities, would love to, you know, come out. And knowing that Max was there and then they were like, hey, <laughs> e- email Max. <laughs> I was like, yes, definitely. So um, got connected with Max, had a few few phone calls, interviews. Um, and then Max was like, Hey, you can, you can come out, you know, and start working. So went out there for this. I spent a summer out there cause I was still finishing up my, like I was in the middle of my master's in this process yeah. too, online and, uh, went out there for a long summer learned an insane amount of information from him. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's like a genius when it comes to all dang sports science, strength editioning, knows every textbook essentially verbatim, um, so yeah, really just you know drinking by fire hose and that experience, but also applying a lot of stuff too. Like resilience code had, you know, essentially unlimited money. It was a functional medicine clinic, uh, physical therapists on staff, athletic trainers, strength coaches, uh, land out performance contracted out of there. Um, then we had some uh, some of our own performance coaches. Um, we had support science, which was Max and I and, and another person, um, chiropractors. Oh my recovery center, every, like all of any them. technology you could buy, you know, force plates, velocity based training, uh, DynaVision. We were taking in the blood biomarkers from the functional medicine side into the performance side, merging the two <laughs> really cool, really yeah. cool stuff. So yeah, that's awesome. that was the first leg like, of sports science. And then I realized from that point on that this is not, <laughs> it's really going to be anywhere else. Um, but after that experience went back to, My master's to finish out in person. Uh, I was teaching some courses for some undergrad students. Realized I really missed the team environment or being around athletes. So I actually cut my master's and I just stopped it uh, because I had a a good opportunity with Illinois basketball that came up. So I actually went there. I became a sports scientist for for two seasons uh, just with basketball. I finished my master's online and then – that's really how I eventually got involved with Hawk and Dynamics and then moved out to Maine about two, two and a half years ago. Okay. So here we are.
1: That's it, man. That's like the whole story in a nutshell. I love it. There it is. So, okay, let's kind of jump right in because I mean, literally you yeah. just tackled like my first three questions. So you made my <laughs> job easy. But so was it that first experience at Resilient Code that really like got you into Force Plates? And if so, like talk to me about just your first experiences there. You just totally like mind blown, overwhelmed or like what was what was that initial experience like?
0: Yeah. So my, my very first experience with force plates, like obviously I started with jump mat um, for attack like a lot of a lot of people do. Sure. Um, and then I had the experiences in undergrad with a Burtek force plate, which is that the in-ground force plate. Yep. there's lots of different brands, but that's a fairly common one um and then we processed the data using matlab which was like extremely cumbersome took a long time like we went into the lab had this big test collection day with all the students did it and then like our project was go home you have like 2 days to process the data and like figure out what it means you know and there's like some questions <laughs> right. like about impulse and blah 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 whatever you know biomechanics basic questions and uh it was cool cuz like i didn't know any different at the time and it. There really wasn't, you know, quicker solutions that even did exist at this time. Um, but it was cool; I got my my uh, feet wet with it. And then when I actually started applying force plates into practice, that would have been a, re- a resilience code. Um, we actually had Bird plates; we had two of them, giant ones in the ground. Um, and then we had a, a Naraxon processing software, which you know is very good software, but it's much quicker than processing yourself in the MATLAB. Like you could actually, you know, have an athlete jump and it be processed on the computer you still had to be plugged in and you still had to hit, you know, save and comb through kind of a, an Excel table to, to figure out what you need. Um, so that process was quicker, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't super actionable immediately. It was more so needed to go and, and think about it and make a report. Yep. Um, and then, you know, the first real experience with using force plates, like, actually in the session, in the setting, would have been at, at Illinois um, when we bought the Hawken plates. I love it.
1: I love it. Yeah, I'm just thinking back now, because I think I finished my master's in 2002, so like 20 years ago, and I just remember we had, I think it was a Kistler in-ground force plate, mm-hmm. and I just remember at the time, first off, Dr. Newton, the guy I studied under, was like, okay, this thing is like 50K. right? So immediately yeah. out of everybody's budget, right? Unless you're a pro sports team. But it, like you said, it was just so cumbersome, man. Like we did all of my master's research with our volleyball team. So that was really cool, right? You've actually, instead of gin pop, college kids that are, you know, drinking every night, we had mm-hmm. our volleyball players. So real athletes, but man, it just took forever. Like if we were going to start data collection at 830, you're there at 730, You got to have somebody else there and you're like calibrating the plates and sometimes they're finicky. I mean, it was just such a disaster, you know? So it's really cool to see how far the plates have come in 20 some years. Right.
0: Yeah, definitely come a long way. Um, Like I, and, now the plates are more accessible like people are just using them more and then they there's like more more questions that are being asked because they're right there in the session they can see the data yep. they can have some context of what happened you know the night before the week before what they have planned so it like testing more frankly just gives an opportunity for this industry to expand as a whole because yep. i mean the price points lower test quicker so you kind of compile all of that and like this industry of force plates is not new for the hardware, but like for the software, like functioning quickly, it's like yes. at its infancy. Yeah. So like really people are just starting to use it in the masses. And like, we're, we're at the point now where like, I just think force plates in the industry will explode. Um, because at, at its most simple level, like we're, it's just an objective way to measure movement. And that's what we do as, as coaches is assess movement and train movement.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, so that, that kind of leads me into my next question. Maybe you want to expound on that. But for the listeners that maybe don't have a sports science background or they're maybe just like a little bit more science averse, right? We've all had the guy that's coached 20, 25, 30 years or gal. They're very comfortable coaching, but they're maybe a little bit kind of resistant to tech or technology. Could you explain at a base level what a force play, Excuse me, what a force plate is and what you can do with it?
0: yeah um so a force plate like what what we say is we we assess movement objectively uh quickly and give you that insight so like our app has it has knowledge built in um but it also empowers the coach to make a decision but the hardware itself like a force plate is rather dumb like it's dumb without the software yeah so like it's literally just a bunch of metal you know, there's a, a lot, there's electronics inside of it that are are very smart electronics. And, <laughs> and we have, we have very smart people that build them and make them work well. Um, but it doesn't really become super usable to a, a coach unless that software piece is connected. Or you have like this biomechanist data person sitting next to you 24 seven and like <laughs> feeding you the data. So it's kind of one or the other, um, But a force plate, it's measuring – like, it is what it's it's called. It's measuring force. Um, There's always forces being put on us throughout the world every single day, um, even if we're just standing still. So, like, a body at rest, a person standing there has a force applied to it, uh, gravity, and they weigh something. They have a mass. So that's happening. Um, In order for movement to be – in order for movement to occur – the person, you know, the muscles generate force to move. Uh, so if there's a movement, like over a period of time, it becomes an impulse um, or force play. Like if you if you do a counter movement jump, we're assessing different phases. Those phases could be thought of as like different impulses um, in the direction the body is moving. And then we can tell you different things about, all right, at this point in time, this is what it looks like uh you know in the deceleration phase a push-off phase when you're moving your body away from the plate um, when you're actually transferring from that deceleration to propulsion when you're landing um, that's what the software puts out but most basic level uh like we, we assess force um, and then we use a bunch of physics and calculations uh like integrating velocity displacement uh, we can gather power we can get powers through each of the phases um, velocities through each of the phases, force through each of the phases. We can divide it by mass at each, uh, at everything. We can get relative measures. So, um, there's an absurd amount of metrics you can get from a force plate, but it's, it's really simple if you just understand like the basics of how it's derived. And then if you know the phases, then you can, there's a lot of metrics, but, uh, it's, it's all kind of coming from one place for lack of better terms.
1: I love it. I love it. And maybe along those same lines, give us some idea as to the spectrum between the different plates out there. I know there's like, you know, 3D plates and, Mm -hmm. you know, like just so give us an idea of all the different, maybe not all the different, (laughs) but a handful of the different types of plates and like the ranges that you're looking at.
0: Yeah. So... There's really, like, when I, when I explain what our force plates are in comparison to, like, what I was using back in undergrad. So um, there's three-dimensional force plates, which those would be the ones that you traditionally would see, like, in a lab, in the ground, not movable. Um, three-dimensional means there's three force vectors. So you step on that plate, someone does, and you're going to get force uh, vertical, anterior, posterior, horizontal. Um, so you get, like, side-to-side uh horizontal and vertical forces and those like with the more dimensions of force it drives the price point up as well. So that's why those force plates you know like you said uh professor newton he was like you know 50k that's that's very true. Um I would say the price point is probably a little lower now but they're still very expensive. Yep. Um so we you know other companies make portable plates but Uh, our rationale for going uh, portable and we make one dimension force plates. So one D and so do the other portable companies, but even in like a horizontal movement uh, the highest force component will be a vertical force factor. So that is the main driver of all movement, even if it, you know, visually is in different planes is that vertical force. So we give vertical force one dimension on our plates So that allows us, one, that's one of the reasons how we can drive the cost way down, make it more accessible, more people to use them. Um, We're also building everything, like, in this office that we're sitting here today. (laughs) So, like, we have, like, a workshop part of this space, and that allows us to also keep things in-house, keep costs low so we can get them in more people's hands. But those are the kind of the two types of force plates is the 1D and the 3D like that's what you'll you'll see like 99.9 percent of the time i'm sure there's other stuff that exists in other industries um that's not really like what we're getting into um but they all they come in they come in all shapes and sizes too you know like ours are two rectangles we have a, a, a cable that connects the two to give you left and right um some force plate systems only have one force plate it could be big they could be super small like they could be the size of a calculator um, and ins- like bugs, insects, animals can jump on them. <laughs> um, and then they, they can become giant. Like there's, uh, I'm sure pe- a lot of people listening have heard about this track where it's like a hundred meters of force plates. It's yes. in, it's in like China or Singapore. Um, so yeah, like, you know, you can, those are a bunch of force plates one after another, all synchronized with some sort of software attached to it. Um, but the largest, like the largest force plates I've seen we actually, I installed uh, with my colleague Oliver. Probably would have been about two years ago. Um, this wasn't really with Hawkin; it was kind of like a special side project. But we went up to McGill University in Montre- near Montreal, Canada, and we went to a cattle research farm, and we installed these giant, two giant force plates for cows to walk across
1: okay. in a barn. Yeah.
0: So like we literally recessed out in the ground like a, a big hole and then we inlaid over three – it took three days because like you have to put like the epoxy down, make sure it's level, uh, put the plates down, make sure those are level. And then we put pressure plates on top and then like we like closed it all in and it, oh it took gosh. a long time. We were in this, this hot barn with, you know, flies <laughs> everywhere and – uh, it was cool because it was a good experience with Montreal, but um, yeah, the objective was for cattle to walk across it and big dairy uh, researchers were essentially looking at, you know, like the pressure of the cow's hoofs, how they're, you know, stepping on different, like they would overlay different surfaces and it was like, all right, this is more efficient for these cattle versus surface and this surface and mm. so on and so forth. So that was the objective of that, that uh, install, but It's not what we do, but it's just kind of one thing that was unique experience of a different force plate.
1: Absolutely, man. That's very cool. So, you know, I kind of alluded to earlier, you know, I got my master's in this like 20 years ago, but things have definitely changed. Uh, I'm going back and kind of re-educating myself because this is something that I see being a big piece of our business going forward. So I'm sure a lot of people listening in are interested in force plates right? And they're going to listen to this and maybe they're going to want to seek out other avenues or other resources. So what are some trusted resources that you would say, hey, if you're interested in learning more about force plates, here's who I would learn from or how they would educate themselves?
0: Yeah. So when I started, uh, I'll kind of backtrack to when I started learning about plates or force plates and how those can relate to the performance. So um would have been at Resilience Code, but I started reading uh, – it was actually textbooks recommended by Max, but I'm going to try to. I'm probably going to butcher the name here, but I think it's Biomechanics of Strength and Conditioning. It's uh, it's like an orange back book. Uh, we'll try to link to it here, but uh super good book, and it made things a lot more tangible uh, for me early on. And then also there's one by – I think it's Gavin Moore, M-O-I-R <laughs> – can think of the name of it, but it's more so creating systems for, uh, benchmarking, monitoring presentation of the data. So like, honestly those two books together were super pivotal, pivotal early on because it was like, all right, we have this complex force plate information. This makes it a little simpler and then this is how you can present it. So, you know, those three were, were kind of where I started. And then it was just applying (laughs) what I was reading. Um, but now, like, we're obviously a long way, so <clears throat> people can kind of, you know, jump a, a few steps ahead. Yeah. I think, I think, like, one, a, a decent understanding of physics and biomechanics is, like, kind of ground zero. Yes. Um, you don't have to be a pro at physics, biomechanics by any means at all. But, like, understanding the different equations of, like, force equals mass times acceleration. How do you get, you know, from for- using it in force and velocity? How do you get to power? Um, displacement and time are involved in those equations work is involved in that equation. Like honestly, just sitting down, Googling a bunch of equations that I have to do a jump height and start making the connections of how all that interplays. you know, that, that's a great, great place to start. Um, but then in terms of like more geared towards performance or reading people that are actually applying this, um, like I, I reached out directly to the source when I was a, at Illinois. So like I got connected with Dr. Jason Lake really early on. Um, he's more of like he, – he really understands the fundamental, fundamentals of force plates, uh, physics, biomechanics, knows all the equations, like the underpinning mechanisms. He has a lot of papers out on power as well and even like just weightlifting power. So he's like super analytical in that regard, and but he can – at the end of his papers he always puts like an applied practical section so it's like you read it all and then you get that this is how I would apply it now he's like he's more of a researcher but this is what his suggestion suggestion would be um so honestly any papers by him but at Illinois through Hawken I got connected with him and I just started you know calling him and, and talking on the phone with him and asking him all the all the questions that I had so he he really helped fast track that process. Um, and like, they're all kind of tied in over there together a little bit. So like Jason Lake is it, I think it's Chichester uh, university, but kind of the group now that's leading a lot of the force plate research, it would be the group out of Salford university. Um, so kind of from Dr. Jason Lake uh, got connected with Dr. John McMahon. He is self-proclaimed force, force plate coach on uh Instagram, Twitter. I'm just kidding. We, uh, call him counter-movement John. He puts out a lot of counter-movement jump research and then kind of his counterpart, like they both work together at Salford, um, would be Dr. Paul Comfort. So he puts out a lot of really good information on isometric testing. Um, he's kind of like the guy from mid Dipole. If anyone has questions on that, like I'll kind of point them to his research. Um, and I believe he actually he was a student of Greg Half. Paul Comfort was. So, yeah. you know, the trees like the trees are all, you know, the people that I'm sure you were you're connected with. <clears throat> so that's where, you know, the Salford group, the Chichester group, those are really good places to look. And they, they have a lot of students now that are kind of like they're they're just putting out papers left and right on force plates. Like uh Andy Badby is one of John McMahon's students. He's put he's done a lot of really cool stuff he's basically been like traveling the the countryside of england and collecting like a bunch of data on the pro teams and he's he's gonna be putting out some really cool research soon um and then also like i can't can't leave out peter mundy so peter mundy he is actually was a co-founder of Hawkin. like from day one um he got involved with Hawkin because Hawkin before it was really a company they started putting out like hey this is coming and this is what, how we think something's calculated and Peter's, you know, like a world renowned biomechanist in the UK. And, uh, he was like, no, like that's wrong. Like that's not how this is calculated. <laughs> so awesome. then, so then our, our CEO Ben was like, I think it was a few interactions, but Ben eventually ended up getting on a flight to the UK and he met with Peter. And then it was like, Peter, like we need, we want to get all of our calculations sound and solid from the beginning. Because like we want, we just want to have the best possible thresholds, protocols, everything based on research from day one. So Peter was actually a co-founder, and he worked with our developers to get everything, you know, like the industry best methods in yeah. our software. So Peter Mundy, he's a great resource. He just he uh, doesn't have as much re- research out, but he does have some stuff out there that you can find. Um, he's actually our he just joined us full-time from his university setting. So he's actually our chief science officer. So me and him work together, you know, almost every day um, now, which is really cool because I can just like bounce questions off of him and get answers for our, our customers and different coaches that, you know, want like a higher level answer. Um, he can, he can provide that like to a T. So we got some good resources here. If people are interested in in learning force splits.
1: Yeah. Well, and, I mean, you haven't plugged it, so I will. But, like, you guys have a really good podcast, too. So, like, there's some good resources in there and, like, you know, guys that are not just, like, in theory in labs all day. Like, guys that are doing this at a high level with teams and in the trench. I mean, I sometimes hate that term. But, you know, in the trenches, like, these are real coaches that are taking this tech and using it. And, you know, whether it's for testing purposes, whether it's diagnostic and assessment purposes, uh, I mean some really high level guys and gals that are using this. So I would check that out as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's, uh, that's ran by Thomas Newman. So, uh, Thomas Newman was actually the director of sports performance and innovation at Yale. Hmm. So he, he actually, he came in there. I think he was there for like five or six years, but, um, kind of turned around their program using data. Like a lot of their sports programs had a lot of success over there during his time, but he used data to essentially like quantify where they were at and then track, you know, where they needed to get to. It did a lot of really cool stuff. Um, so Thomas brings a lot of, you know, insight and he brings it to our podcast and gets on with coaches and our users and some researchers and some people where it's like, I don't even know how you found this person to get the <laughs> podcast, but this person has a lot to say and they're really interesting. So That's awesome. um, yeah, definitely check out that podcast. Cool.
1: Okay. So, I'll give you a a short story here or a short anecdote, and then I want to hear your thoughts. So when I got our ExerFly, right, I had been looking at flywheel tech, and I knew this is something I wanted to use, but one of the issues when I got it was there's this overwhelm of, man, if I just go to their YouTube page, there's like 80 or 90 exercises, and you look Mm -hmm. at it, and you're like, holy crap, you're like overwhelmed with all the options, and I know this can be a thing anytime you adopt a new technology, right? Or you're exposed to something new. So with regards to force plates, obviously you can track and measure a ton of different things. But how would you go about with somebody that's new, they're considering investing in force plates, they want to use them. How do you help them avoid that overwhelm and maybe narrow their focus early on?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, super common and that with with any new user like that that's like one of the first questions for a lot of people is that overwhelming. There's so many metrics, like I have so much data. What am I going to do with it? And I kind of had this experience, like I had this experience, one as a user as well at Illinois. Um, Flesh was really good of like getting me into systems and taking this concept and making it applied so we could train it. Um, But then when I got here at Hawkin, like my job for like, honestly, the first six months was like, just get on the phone with all of our users every day and like work with them and like train them. Like I didn't have any systems. Like I just had like what I'd done. So then I was just, you know, on the phone with a bunch of different people trying to learn how all these different sports and people interacted. Um, through that process, I really learned that like logistics and like your, the environmental constraints are probably the most challenging part of using force plates or really any technology. So I really stopped going into those calls and saying like, you know, this is what you should do. This is what I would do. These are the metrics you should look at. These are important too. This is cool. And it was more so like, it still is today, you know, like 20, 30 minutes. Like I'm really trying to understand what are your logistics? Like, what is your coach like? How do they like data presented? Like, I just want to learn your, what you do, what you're trying to accomplish. And then I'll try to match a system with that. So you know, just like strength and conditioning, like we, when someone new comes into strength and conditioning, there's 1 million exercises you could do.
1: Yes.
0: Like there is one, there's a million options. And even within those options there, they all have different names and they could be the same exercise visually. So it's like, <laughs> yes. how do you get started as a young strength and conditioning coach? You start reading books about different people's systems. Like you read the tier system, you know, you read your system, you read what, whoever has put out a system, you learn all of those. Right. And then you try them with your athletes and then you pick the one that's best. So well, what I'm trying to do for our, our users is in basically an hour, learn what they're trying to accomplish, where their body of knowledge is, meet my system or like, you know, a, a bucket of systems that could work for these different environments and then like get to a point of like critical thinking. So it's like, it's like, I don't want to sit here and tell you, you have to use these metrics because a lot of the metrics are the same with slight nuances, but some people like, you know, different verbiage or like things presented differently. So, you know, I, I really like to learn where they're at or provide them with a system. It's not as scary. And then like, we have an open discussion of like critical thinking and hey, maybe these metrics would make sense. If they are like super strong on a metric, like we could pair it with research. Like, hey, maybe research actually says this one is better. Mm or maybe we're looking at the same thing twice. Like maybe we're looking at jump height and takeoff velocity, but those things are literally the same, basically the same metric, you know, like we calculate jump height from takeoff velocity. So you don't want to look at two things if you can look at one. So that's kind of the filtering process. But the goal is, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff you could look at, but get your system locked in first before you get in, before you get like overwhelmed with, like metrics, what am I going to do all that, all that stuff? Um, That's how we do it here.
1: I love it. Okay. So maybe as a follow-up to that, if somebody is interested in getting started, same, it's kind of the same question, but a little bit different angle beyond just the metrics, there's so many tests, so many assessments, Mm -hmm. right? So if you want to strip everything away and you're just looking at like general athleticism, what are three to five tests? that you might look at to just say, hey, this Mm -hmm. kid is whatever, they're too weak or they're too slow or whatever?
0: Yeah. So like we provide, like one, we provide nine tests within our system and you can tag it to make it unique. So there's really like an infinity amount of tests you could do, only limited by your imagination. Um, But the standard and like kind of that baseline for everybody, no matter the sport position, whether it's a firefighter or like an elite pro athlete is that counter movement jump. So I start with that as like, let's get everyone locked in with this counter movement jump. I recommend hands on hips because it's, it eliminates the upper half allows you to really focus on changes of the lower extremities. So that, I mean, and honestly that's like 90, I don't know this number to a T, but like last year that was like 90% of every single Test that was conducted on our plates, and we had a million tests collected. Wow. So, like <laughs> that is that is a significant test that people are using, um, and why that test is valuable is because like we say, we say we're assessing human movement, which is what we're doing, and the counter movement jump has six phases in it. So it has unweighting phase, uh, breaking phase, propulsive phase. Um, flight phase, and then landing phase. We actually forgot one in the beginning, the weighing phase. Yeah. Um, So those are the six. All six of those phases exist, like, in all all movement. So even if I'm just walking across the ground, like, I'll have a, a portion of that movement, of that walk that is an unweight. I'll have it when it comes into contact, where it's a break, a decelerate, and then I'll push away, and I'll land again. So it'll flight. But I'm really, you know, bipedal movement. So one's on the ground, one is up in front. Yep. But that would be the flight phase, and then a landing, deceleration, a push off, so on and so forth. So different intensities between walking and and jumping as high as you can. But we're taking a test that super repeatable, super standardized, exhibits six phases that exhibit that are exhibit are displayed in all human movement, as simple as walking or You know out on the field like if an athlete goes to cut there's an unweight portion a break into the ground when they go to plant and then there's like a you know a brief amortization before the push off and then flight pushing their their body away from that point that they just push into so that is why the counter movement jump is kind of that standard and that's why like when you read the research that that almost exists and that exists in a lot of performance studies today Um, that would be considered a slow stretch shortening cycle, uh, test. Yep. So if you read like John McMahon's really good at putting this into, into perspective and he actually gave a presentation to, we were, we were doing this project for one of our MLB teams and he came in and he gave this presentation of, Hey, these are the, these are the tests you could use and why. And that it clicked for me on that presentation, but counter movement jump, slow stretch shortening cycle. If we're picking two other tests, we would want something that would assess fast stretch shortening cycle function, and then something that would assess strength. So if we only could select three, it would be, you know, CMJ. Mm -hmm. For me, it's hands on hips. For some people, it's with a dowel on the back. For some people, it's with arm swing. The next one would be a fast stretch shortening cycle. So this essentially means just a, a quicker, quicker contacts or less time constraint for that movement. And it's typically under 250 milliseconds is kind of what people would say. Um, That could be the drop jump. It could be a depth jump where the box would just go higher. You'd fall from a higher distance with the depth. There is kind of this new novel test actually put out by John McMahon, but it's called the counter movement uh, rebound jump. So it's a hybrid between the counter movement and the drop. Okay. So all you do, very basic, is you just ask the athlete to jump twice as high as they can, maximum. So okay. it's just two CMJs, but spend as little time as you can on the ground. Okay. So then you, you capture that slow stretch shortening cycle on the first one. And then the landing, or the, the fall height is relative to how high that athlete can jump. So it's like a relative drop height, Yeah. but you don't, you don't have to worry about the athlete, you know, stepping off the box and stepping down. So instead of jumping 30, they actually dropped off 29 or 28. So that's standardized. And then that, that landing of the first before they produce a second jump, it's looks exactly like a drop jump curve.
1: Mm.
0: So you get all the, you get all the characteristics and everything you would be assessing in a drop jump. But you get it from this counter movement rebound, kind of this this novel test that he's he's putting out. Um, you can find research from him on it if you want to get into it. Uh, but that's that is where I push a lot of of our users now. Is hey, I think I I would actually preferably use this counter movement rebound over a drop jump now.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we're at Illinois, like we were using drop jump from a thirty centimeter box, like religiously. That was what we were using. Um, but I was always like religiously watching the box, like do not step down, like step <laughs> out, step yeah. off the box. And you can do the drop jump if it's controlled, super controlled, but it also took me like two three weeks to teach all the new guys and girls, the jump, the test. Sure. Whereas I can go into like a, I can travel to meet one of our customers and do like a combine and I can step right up and say, have them all do kind of movement, kind of movement jump. And then I'm like, all right, now jump twice, do the same thing you just did. Jump twice. And there's no learning curve, you know, yeah. just, they, they know how to do it. So I lean towards that for fast stretch shortening cycle. Um, you could also do like pogo jumps. So like a multi-rebound there, it'd be quicker contact times. Cause it's mostly always in the, it's like an ankle dominant jump. Mm-hmm. Is how I like to describe it. Not as much knee flexion. Um, and then we'll just move. We'll just keep moving to the opposite end of the spectrum onto that strength side. Um, historically isometric mid to eye pole would be, what would be plugged in here. I've really been leaning towards isometric bell squat probably for like the last, probably two two years uh, going towards this assessment because there's nothing wrong with the mid-dipole and there's a lot of good research put out about it. Um, I still will suggest people use it in different scenarios, but like let's just use uh, like an Olympic strength conditioning program. For example, let's say we're gonna assess uh, women's soccer and women's volleyball. And we're going to say, well, we want to look at max strength, but we're going to look at relative peak force because, and then we're going to, we're going to do men's basketball too. And we're going to compare men's relative peak force versus the women's sports relative peak force. It should be fine. Cause they're relative, right? Right. Like, okay. But from a history, like the, the limiting factor, especially on sports that don't really demand a lot of grip strength, it like it is grip strength. So oh,
1: okay.
0: the mid-thigh pull, the biggest limitation is the ability to actually like use their upper body strength and hang to hang onto the bar long enough and hard enough so that the feet can actually drive into the ground and actually get to their peak force output they could mm-hmm. do. Okay, It's just, just like on a deadlift. Like think about if you load up, like you get close to your 100%, like your legs still might be able to handle it, but it you might drop the bar unless you're like strapped in or chalked up. So considering that if we're getting force placed more into like sports olympic or uh, athletics I'd probably rather have a test that is less likely to get you know screwed up or have a limitation yeah so the belt squat you just put them in a belt you use the same joint angles that you would use in the mid thigh pull and you ask them to stand up instead of you know grip the rip the bar separate your upper half and your lower half driving into the ground it's like it's much simpler it's hey you're in this belt stand up push the ground as hard as you can Hmm. force outputs way higher every time and there's really no limitation by by the grip
1: so man you just you just killed me because i was like oh i'm about to line up all these uh isometric mid-thigh pull uh papers and now you got me going on a totally different route okay so Walk me through that. How do you set that up? Do you need, like, a a pit shark or something like that? Like, do you need some Mm -hmm. sort of, like, belt squat attachment? Like, how are you doing that?
0: So I started on a a pit shark um, at Illinois. I started, like, playing around with this, seeing what would work. And you can do that. You can really do it on any uh, belt squat attachment or even in a rack. You you essentially just need an immovable object on the ground between the plates. So, like, someone could literally just – use like a, you know, a tab con or something drilled into the floor, like a bolt with an, like a hook on the top and then attach the a chain to the hook between the plates. Okay. So like, you really don't need any equipment to perform this. Um, but you could also use a pit shark and pin the pit shark. So there's no movement. Right. Um, you could attach like, uh, some sort of hook. Like I've used, uh, Like I've took the safety bar on a Sorenax rack and put it on like on the lowest pin. Okay. And then I elevated the plates a little bit and then I hooked it to the Sorenax safety bar and then did a belt squat with that. Okay. So it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You just need it to not be a movable object between the plates.
1: All right, man. I'm going to have to do some digging now because you got my wheels spinning on that. I like that. I like that. Well, here's, here's what I like about a lot of these things, right? is like trying to eliminate user error. That's something we do in the gym all the time, right? We create a a constraint, like a front squat versus a back squat. Instead of telling somebody a thousand times, hey, keep your chest up or torso tall. Well, maybe you can't do that in a back squat. So you give them a front squat, you change the constraint and it works better. So same thing Mm -hmm. here, like with that two counter movement jump test or with this ISO belt squat, you just put a constraint in that allows them to do it with less coaching and it ultimately is more effective.
0: Completely. And if you have like large numbers of athletes and you have limited time to get them through, then you, you obviously want, you just want something that's seamless, very quick. And if, even if you have someone else collecting the data, like if you guys have a team of people and these two people are collecting on this day, these two people are collecting on the next day. Like you want something that's very easy to set up and and reproduce. So the quality of the data is high. Um, So that's why. I think especially in these applied settings, like where the plates are moving into, that these tests make more sense.
1: For sure. Okay. Last but not least, what are some pitfalls that you see when people start using force plates, either in their assessment or their training process? And maybe as a follow-up to that, how can we go about avoiding them?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um... I mean, make, for the bilateral plates, making sure your force plates are connected, like when you <laughs> actually put the cable between them. Um, <laughs> so just uh, make sure that when the plates get moved for the day, that like if that cable comes disconnected, make sure it's just plugged in in the morning so you yeah. get left and right force instead of just left force. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's like, you know, we, we have stuff in our software now that actually catches that. So we, we would know if someone was doing that right. and, and help them. Um, but basically like people want to go in day one and, and throw, like, they just want to do everything day one where I would say, like, I usually suggest like a data collection period and some people don't love it. Cause like, they just want to know what's good right away. And like, right. we actually, we just put out a newsletter on like the, what, like what's good paradox. Like people just want to know the answer from day one, instead of like trying to Get to the answer themselves, and then then ask what's good after that. Instead of like just saying, you know, this athlete plays basketball and they have to jump forty centimeters. Like that, that's good. If they don't do that, they're bad.
1: Right? No,
0: that's not how <laughs> this works. That's not how that's not how you would think about a strength and conditioning program that you're writing. So there's like some sort of like disconnect with technology still. That like one people think it's gonna just give them answers, which, you know, I think at some point we can get in a much better place to be able to provide some answers, not, not the answer, but like give deeper, way deeper insight. Um, But right now it's like, we're going to, we're helping you assess movement quickly at a really high level. We still want you to use your, all of your experience and your coaching insight, but we'll just work with you through the process. So um, just get in, start collecting data um, test yourself. Like I would highly recommend that for all coaches is like, whether you're trying to do it, whether you're programming for yourself and you want to jump higher or whatever your goal is, like just jump every time you go into the weight room and see how that number is changing. Mm. Like see how your jump height's changing. When you slept Suit when your kids were up all night <laughs> and you slept really bad for three days in a row and just see how your jump height changes. Because then that gives you context of like, all right, I'm using this on my athletes and they just had a travel schedule the last week that was absurd and I can expect this to happen with jump height, my jump time. They're going to move lower today because they, they need longer to produce that that same jump height. Um, so, I mean, anything you do on yourself, it's you kind of kind of click a little more. So I would suggest that. Um, and that, that data collection period, like I arbitrarily say like, two, three months, very arbitrary. But like if, you, if you test your athletes every day for like two, three weeks, you kind you have a good pool of data and you've got a lot of reps. So like yes. at that point you can start getting into, Hey, I actually want to get deeper, start using this information more. Um, and then like, quite frankly, I sat in Illinois for three, like two, three months and we didn't use the data, but we collected religiously every single day and we were testing ourselves. We were looking at the trends and then that off season was when it was like hammer time. We were like, all right, we're gonna create a system and actually use this for programming. So that's cool. Just be patient is probably the, the biggest uh thing I would say with with this technology. You know, it's not think about the first time you got your iPhone, like you weren't using all the features like day one. You know, <laughs> right. you had to like sit, you had to like dive through it, learn it a little bit. It didn't just come to you day one. Yeah. So
1: Yeah. Our kids, yes kids just like intuitively know they like grab an iPhone or an iPad and they're all up in it but yes crazy yes
0: yeah it's it's the cool like it's crazy to think that a a kid can just step on like we we have kids I I help out at Colby also I didn't mention that it's a a division three school in Maine but all of our kids up there are super smart and they test themselves so we we have seven we had 758 Athletes on the force plates last year, we had twenty-seven thousand counter movement jumps collected. Oh my gosh! Just throughout that school year, but almost I would say probably like ninety-five percent of them were self-collected. So wow. we we would have like you know some testing days where like the coaches would do the collection process. We would get isometric and counter movement, but the things that lived continuously were the CMJ, and they were testing you know two or three times a week. Every single time they came in for a lifting session. would get on the plates right at the door so we taught the kids how to do it the first month like felt good about the spot they were in but honestly like they're so intuitive with technology like they can just get up on the tablet click their name hit play and it and then it's testing so like it's kids today are really smart we just need to like educate them a little bit provide a little direction and they can really handle this stuff at least getting the data to the point of collection. Um, probably not the analysis piece yet. Although I will say like there's, there's some kids that, at Colby college that might be able to do some analysis for me.
1: <laughs> some, <laughs> some of the athletes. I don't doubt it, man. Okay. Big question time, my friend, if you could alter the space time continuum and give young Drake Berberay one piece of advice, what would it be?
0: Man. And I, I know you sent the questions before this, but I don't, I don't have an answer for this one. <laughs> Um, I don't, I mean, I really, I really live by like experiencing new stuff like all the time. Um, so like I try to just put myself in as many situations that are challenging, but provide like a a good experience. So I would probably go back and tell myself that sooner. Um, I think I was in like a you know, probably like a really big rush early on to get to, like, I I really wanted to be a basketball strength conditioning coach. So like, that was like the big, the big push. Um, You know, it would probably just be that, like chase every, don't chase every opportunity, but, but take like calculated, uh, take calculated risk and then jump at an opportunity, throw yourself into that opportunity when you're in it, you know, reassess it continually throughout Have some patience and, uh, you know, chase opportunities to provide a really good experience also.
1: Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Okay. So last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one, favorite memory from working with Illinois basketball.
0: Ooh. Um... Every day was a memory. No. <laughs> I, probably like uh, just going to dinner with the guys. Like, uh, you know, a few times in the, like in the off season, almost every day we would go to, you know, the dining hall and just have dinner with a few of the guys. So just going and having those conversations um, and learning from like, we had some guys on our team that were from like overseas. Like we had, uh, I can use his name, uh, Georgie. He's actually in the G league now, but oh, he was yeah. from, he's from Georgia, the country. Yeah, And he, he grew up in a very, very unique time in Georgia where it was like wartime and um, he had a crazy upbringing. Like, So honestly, just sitting there at dinner and like learning from his experiences and like his childhood and just sitting there talking to those guys and, and learning from them. That, that's probably what I – one of the things I've taken away most from Illinois.
1: That's cool. Man, and this is super random. I think Georgie worked with my guy Joey Burton, the skills guy. Maybe in like some of yeah. his pre-draft stuff. Because I remember, probably. I know that name. So I feel like maybe they work together or somehow we're connected. So that's very cool.
0: Yeah, super, super charismatic guy. So like if you, and his name's Georgie, so you yeah. probably, it's probably the same Georgie.
1: Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, number two, fill in the blank. Because this is something we've talked about via the DMs. But your ultimate or dream side hustle is? so i think I think <laughs> that the future side
0: hustle um I think a goat like a goat company would be really cool, so like <laughs> it's like a semi passive company. you just need to buy a bunch of goats and so some context, goats eat everything so yes. the the business idea no one steal this because I'm, i I want to do this, but <laughs> Like basically, you know, you have a house, you have your big yard. I'd probably section off half my yard. I'd have the goats in the back. They they do my yard mowing for me. Yes. So one, I save time throughout the week. Yes. But also, you know, you advertise it, rent some Facebook ads. I've got all these goats and <laughs> I'll just, I will rent them to you to clean out your property or your space that you just purchased. <laughs> so like people buy, you know, acreage to build homes on or – Farmers buy new land and it might be like old land and it's overgrown. They need their cattle to be on it, but they need to clean it out. So you basically go out, you fence out the area and you bring your goats in a trailer you <laughs> drop them off and then they they clean the yard or they clean the space for you and people pay you you know however long it takes or buy the head of goats so that's the <laughs> that's the semi-passive side hustle dream.
1: I just love how much you've thought about that. Like there's real detail there. Like that's very impressive, man. I like that.
0: I'd say, you know, it's it's been done before, so it's not you know, not a, a new idea, but um I'd like to make it part part of my life too, so I don't actually have to mow the grass. I think people yes. have just done it as a business, but it's it's gonna save time in all areas.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay. Number three when do you actually get to stay home and show out? Because as we talked about before the show, it seems like you've been on the road for like six months straight.
0: Yeah. Um, not very often, but <laughs> I'll say, I'll say it like that. But then I, it's not that I'm always on the road. Like I do get time back in, cause I live in, in Portland, Maine. And if you've never been out here, it's like, it's beautiful. Like it's honestly one of the most underrated places I would say um, in the U S and Actually, if Fern and Griffin's listen to this. Shout out to him because he he refuses to come to Maine because he thinks it's only cold and nothing oh cool up gosh. here. But he is he's wrong. So <laughs> um, Maine's a beautiful place, but like my travel schedule, like it's really going out all all the events you know put on throughout the summer months when when strength and conditioning coaches or sports scientists have downtime. So basically, travel from like uh, the end of March until kind of September. Okay. Um, but it's like, you know, two days here, come back home for a little bit, get a hangout still in the office. Like our, our headquarters is out here. So, uh, see the team, communicate with the team every day, but get a couple days here in Maine, do some hiking, kayaking, um, love the outdoor stuff. So I, I get time at home, but consistent time at home is, is few and far between right now. Yeah. Um, it's more so periods of, of days, but Honestly, that's how it was in basketball too. It was just different time of year. It was you know, it was basically like now until April. And yeah. then you then you get some downtime. So I'll have downtime now and, and throughout the whole winter until March or April of next year.
1: Okay. Yeah, I actually have only been to Maine once. Uh it was for Eric Cressy's wedding. I think it was like mm. 2010. I just that's remember cool. because uh my wife was pregnant with our daughter. And I remember flying into Boston. He's like, oh, just fly into Boston and drive up. And I have no concept of, like, East Coast geography. I'm like, hell no. I'm like, that'd be awful. He's like, dude, it's 90 minutes. Yeah, it's so close. Okay, yeah. And we drove through a state in that amount of time, too. Like, 90 minutes in any direction. I don't know from where we live if that would get you out of Indiana. But I just thought it was Or Indianapolis, for that matter. Right, (laughs) right, depending on the day. And it was beautiful there. I mean, it was October. It was absolutely gorgeous. I loved it, so... Vernon, if you listen to this, go there, my friend. It's better than you think. Uh, okay, number four. I know I said four, but I'm going to add an extra one in. Talk to me about this stash, dude. Oh, man. How long has <clears throat> it taken to grow that, man? It's it's yeah. pretty pretty sick, man. I'm not a stash guy, but you, you're you rocking it.
0: So the story on that, uh, it was before <laughs> Top Gun. I just need to preference that for, for people listening. So my brother, my brother's younger than me by four or five years. Um, he's in the Navy. He's out in San Diego. Um, he's been in for like five years, but I don't get to see him often, but he came out to Boston for St. Paddy's day. Okay. And I, I met him down there and it was, I haven't seen him in a while. And he had this musty, he had this thick mustache and I'm like, Oh, you're, you're four or five years younger than me. Never tried this. So that was actually the day that I started, um, uh, from his inspiration. So, okay. You know, it's been going since uh, St. Paddy's Day right now and just got to keep some, keep some beard oil in it, keep it trimmed up. And it there looks you good, go, man.
1: It looks good. Thanks. Like, I don't think a lot of guys can wear a really good stash, but you're working it, man. It's impressive.
0: It's cool. It's cool now because Top Gun, you know, I, yeah. people, everybody's doing it. I might have to shave it.
1: A <laughs> couple months, it'll be over, but for now it's cool, right? Yeah. Okay. Last yeah. but not least, number five. What's next for Drake Berberet? What are you excited about? What are you working on? Anything?
0: Yeah. Um, really just trying to grow like Hawking Dynamics, you know. Like I think there's still a massive amount of people that like there, I know there is a massive amount of coaches and practitioners, sports scientists that still, you know, could benefit from this technology. So our goal is to really make it keep driving that it's super simple but don't just tell them that it's simple. Like we actually want to make it simple for them. So, you know, whether that's changing stuff in our app to make it more simple, uh, education, resources, actually being there with them in person, conferences, any of that stuff. So it's really just getting to a point where, you know, everyone within performance is, is using force plates at some capacity to objectify what they're already doing. So, you know, Hawking, it's not not done at all. Like there's still a lot of work that we need to do as a company and like we are a company, like we like to be a successful company. Like there's no denying that. Right. But our impact that we're also having on like an industry, like that's why I'm involved and that's why I got out of coaching because like one, it's about experiences. I get to meet like a tremendous amount of people. I could be on the phone with people from different countries every day, learn from them, um, talk, strength, conditioning but also like we're, we're kind of shifting the way an industry that's been around for a long time is thinking about you know, quantifying what they do. So that's kind of what it's about for me and a lot of the people that we actually have hired. Um, so really just continue to scale this. And, and then on the side, like goat farms and <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a gym and I've actually got a gym in central Illinois that is kind of closer to you. Um, so just keeping that, you know, successful and, and growing, it's mostly with youth athletes. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where my priorities lie.
1: I love it, man. Well, Drake, it's been awesome catching up with you today. Love the show. Love the whole discussion. Where can my listeners find out more about you and the work that you're doing?
0: Yeah. So, uh, Instagram is probably the best spot to find, uh, my content. So it's strength 2speed um, I also have a Twitter. It's D 23 Um, usually my Twitter is kind of just like thoughts that that come to my head and then <laughs> the Instagram is more of, of educational stuff. Um, and then I also I run the the Hawken dynamics, all the social medias as well. So, you know, kinda of anything that's put out, it's that's kind of my main focus. And then um the strength to speed socials, that's like more so ideas or like theories and, and concepts that I'm having.
1: I love it, man. I love it. Well, again, Drake, this was amazing, and thank you so much for your time, man.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Mike. It was uh, a lot of fun.
1: All right, my friend. That does it for this week's episode with Drake Berberet. Really hope you enjoyed it. Drake is such a wealth of information, and I really appreciated him coming on, taking all this high-level stuff, breaking it down, make it making it easy for us to follow and understand because... Like I said up top, I really feel like sports science is the way of the future. That doesn't mean I'm going to hang up my coaching hat and not trust my coaching eyes and all those reps that I've accumulated over the years. But I do think as an industry, we can do a better job of merging that subjective assessment, trusting our eyes with the objective data-driven metrics that we can pull out from tools like force plate. So again, really hope you enjoyed the episode. We're going to have more of this stuff coming down the line because I have all kinds of cool topics that I want to dive into in the future. So small favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode, please go right now. If you're not already subscribed and do that, it'll take two seconds out of your day. Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon store, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops so big shout out thanks again to hawk and dynamics our newest sponsor appreciate them show wouldn't be what it is today without our sponsors so make sure you give them a follow and then last but not least thank you for listening love and appreciate you as always thank you so much for your support and we will be back next week with our next episode until then take care